Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special edition of Beyond the Album Cover. Not only do I interview people inside the music industry, but people from everyday walks of life, so we get to know their story, go beyond the album cover, so twofold. So I have a good friend of mine. We've been friends since sixth grade, since Gasson and Garrisburg Elementary linked up to form GMS, North Fender County High School West, now North Fender County High. And if you're in the Roanoke Valley, you can go catch me at Supercuts to get you lined up real nice. Get that hairline crisp like Jalen Rose. Ladies and gentlemen, my man, J.D., the barber. J.D., welcome. What's going on, Jarrell? How life treat you, man? You look good. You looking well, buddy. Man, I'm trying to get like you, boss, man. Life has been good, man. You know, this year will make my sixth year that I've been in New Mexico. Four years of marriage coming Ooh. up in October. So life is good like Nas. That was a, <laughs> that was a huge... <clears throat> from here to Mexico, that's a huge transition, man. I know we spoke briefly about it before, like how you transition, but can't keep a good man down. So it seemed like you handled that well, man. And it's always good to see you. And most definitely, life is good. Life is great right now. Yeah, man, because it was culture shock for maybe the first year when I moved out because, you know, coming from where we're from, the African-American population is high, but in New Mexico, it's few and far between because you got your Air Force bases in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is further south, Albuquerque, which is the central part of the state where I lived for over a year to where I moved to the current location now, which is three hours north. So it's a bit of a difference, a lot more Native Americans up this way. But I've grown to love it and like it. So I would recommend to anybody, if you can, at least at one point in your life, just venture out. Don't have to be halfway across the country like I did or across the globe. Just if you move to Virginia, South Carolina, or Georgia, anywhere, just to get a different right. feel, then it broadens your perspective. I agree with that. I um, I was having that conversation um, the other day about um, it seemed like you find your strength when you're away from your from when you're away from your source. So what you do is when you leave out, you find another source, which is a resource to to rejuvenate some of that strength, and and, and you find that um. You find that you you perform a lot better sometimes under pressure without with knowing that it ain't no safety net down there no more. You know what I'm saying? So that that's cool, man. That's cool. I um I, I'm glad to see that you are uh, doing well. And I'm glad to see that you adjusted. But um I I you know I kind of expect that from you though. Mm, yeah, man. Cause when I first moved, man, I packed up where I could fit in my car. Um, packed up everything, drove my little Ford Escort all the way from North Carolina to New Mexico, two days straight, nonstop. <laughs> you know, it was really fourth quarter, two minutes to go. You need a game-winning drive because when I got out there, I thought I had a job lined up. Then, so a friend of mine who used to work at the radio station with me, his brother lived out in Albuquerque, and he put me in touch with them. Long story short, he put me in touch with a friend that he knew that was principal at a school, and that's how I got my foot in the door in the school system while I was out Ooh. there. Oh, that's amazing, man. It's, it's, it's always about who you know, man. You establish good relationships, and your reputation will precede you. So, mm. at the end of, so at the end of the day, that, that's a good thing, man. Yeah, that's why it's important not to burn bridges and always treat people with courtesy and respect because you never know when you may need their help. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So what are we talking about today, man? What's 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 on your agenda? It look like you got some cooking. What's on your agenda? I got some cooking like Chef Curry or Harden. So <laughs> I'm going to get straight into it. We're going to talk about this album that just dropped on Friday, 
by one of the GOATs, Nasir Jones, formerly known as Nasty Nas, and King's Disease. Tell me your thoughts about King's Disease. Um, of course, I was. It was highly anticipated because I'm a huge Nas fan. Um, I bet my brother, my oldest brother, shout out to him. He put me on to Illmatic back in the day when I was too young to really understand uh, the culture and what Nas was uh, speaking in reference to. As I got older, the album kind of grew with me, and it started to be something that I would reflect on in my older years. So I followed Nas's entire career, the ups, the downs, the good and the bad. And um, I was very impressed. Um, <clears throat> coming off the last album that he did with Kanye, I kind of, it was kind of shaky. It seemed more like an experiment. So with this album here, I felt like he wanted to rejuvenate himself and let everybody know that he still has it. And um, it, he, he didn't come short with it. He put the sauce on it. He did it extremely well. Um, I'm loving, I'm loving the cohesion in the tracks. I'm loving how they, the, the fluency and how they go together. I'm loving the, the transitions in the music. And uh, of course, the lyrics is always there. I mean, there's so many jewels he dropped. Uh, he reunited with the firm. Um, this this is, I think, I think this has room to be a potential classic. Yeah, I thought for me, that was his best album along with Illmatic. It was written and Stillmatic for me. Those are my top three Nas albums. And the, a few weeks ago, you sent me um, a link for Troop, Spread My Wings. Now, Troop got an inadvertent connection to the new Nas record because Hit Boy produced that album and Hit Boy, it nephew of Rodney Benford from Troop. Wow, full circle, which is ironically one of the songs on the album. Full circle, that's that's amazing. I had no idea. I had no idea. I, um, Hit Boy is has always been. Um, he's always been a good producer. I, I like the sound. I like the sound that he and I, the chemistry they have get together sound like it was effortless when he went into the studio maybe like you know he'll throw the track on and it seemed like Nas just went in because they kind of felt each other out I'm noticing a lot of rappers are doing it now even with Jay-Z's last album and No ID pretty much did the entire album and then another another rapper that I'm a fan of that a lot of people may beg the difference which is Joe Budden he did one with A-Rap Music and I actually like though I like the fact when they when a rapper finds his sound and just stick with that one thing for an entire project. And um, I think Nas found his sound with Hit Boy. Yeah, that's definitely evident in the album. My favorite standout cuts for me was Car Eighty Five, and then the track with the firm. I was super hyped when I heard A Z's verse. I was like, Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. A Z. Yeah, man. I want you. I wish I was wondering was you reading my phone, man, because it's like I have a um I have a friend of mine who's a huge Nas fan. And when I got to that song, I said so far AZ got the hottest verse on the album. And it's weird because uh arguably AZ may have had the hottest verse on Illmatic when they did, you know, Life's a Beat. Um that's one of my favorite AZ verses as well. AZ is uh one of those guys that's been um he's been uh slept on. He's probably I would give him like the six man award for, you know, for for the rap. Rap started five. AZ is one of those guys that he can. He he's always been consistent as well, and um, I, I will ever get that. But I, I do like the fact that um that that verse was oh man that was that's one of my favorite verses on the album so far. 
Right, and AZ kind of has uh, an inadvertent link to the 252 because you know he did Sugar Hill off of the Do or Die album, I believe that was the name of it. Miss Jones, who was on Hot 97, was singing Backgrounds to Hook on the record. So that record sample Sugar Free by Juicy. And you know, Juicy, they're from Enfield. Agree, because um, matter of fact, I want to say that my, my boss – my boss um, actually went to school with. I, I, do you know? It, it's is one of the it's one of the people, one of the ladies in the group. Um, my boss went to school with her, and so it was it was it was ironic, you know, when uh, we, they was talking about it, and I heard the sample of the song, and I'm you know because I'm a, I love the new flavor of rap, and I'm like wow, like listening to the sample sometimes when you play those oldies you can hear the new school inside of you know in the pockets of the other beats and some of the, the samples so i i was i was kind of familiar with that but i had no idea that that connection was on the az song as well that's 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 amazing man you 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 always coming with the facts that keep me i'm like i'm trying to keep some of this so i can repeat it when i tell some people about how in-depth we went in with this album Right. And, you know, Nas, definitely a testament to his stand power. Been in the game since 94 with Illmatic and even further back when he was put on the map by Main Source and live at the barbecue with Fat Joe and Akinelli. Yep. Yep. I was I was familiar with that. Some of those some of those late stories now, as he's doing his press run, he's telling them and um. A lot of it I'm familiar with, again, because I have followed his career. But it's just it's amazing to me how um, how deep those roots do run with, again, back to what we were saying initially about, about meeting people and establishing good relationships. And a lot of times we would be surprised. We would be surprised um, who actually put people on in the game just based off the status that they actually lived out. Sometimes – the gatekeepers, I, you know, I, my father used to always tell me to treat everybody like a gatekeeper because you never know who you're going to come in contact with. They may have a key to a gate that you need to get in. Right, right. So what's your take on North Carolina finally getting recognized for hip-hop with the likes of J. Cole, Rasfidi, The Baby, you got DJ Luke Nasty out of Greensboro, and then, you know, before that, it started with Petey Pablo, then further back, Agreed. Ski Beats with Original Flavor. Original Flavor. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you remember, okay, so now I'm going to age myself a little bit now, Jarrell. You right there with me, we classmates, 04. So, um, listen, I remember I, when we were in school, um, after I stopped playing basketball, you know, I decided to try to pursue um, a, a dab into some rap a little bit. And I recall one night we were at the Armory um, over here in the Roanoke Valley, and they were doing a showcase, the rap showcase, and I actually got the rap for Ski Beats. And um, we were in the back, and we was discussing, um, you know, they was doing this thing called a Carolina Blue Mixtape. And we had, we were supposed to be on it. It never really came to fruition, but I was always in awe with Ski because of what he did with um, – Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt, and um, also looking at the new, and then the connection from that is even with, from Ski to Jay, from Jay to J. Cole, and then of course, you know, the baby in Rhapsody right down the road from us, from Snow Hill, so, and actually, uh, another person we went to school with, Chad, uh, Chad Evans oh, actually played the keys, yeah, yeah, he plays the keys for Rhapsody, so, um, 
Yeah, the connection is crazy, man. It's, and it's good that Carolina's family, you know, because I think we was lost with identity. You know, Carolina is the midway point from Florida to New York. So I feel like we kind of were in the middle. We couldn't find our sound. And um, anybody that any, – a lot of people associate Carolina with Southern music. So they feel like that our vernacular and uh, our diction is uh, more in tune with the way we don't sound. A lot of times when I go places, people like, ask me where I'm from, and I'm assuming that it's because I sound country. And, and they'll say, like, no, no, you don't, you don't sound country. But I'm like, I'm from North Carolina, you know, and I kind of like that that Southern slang. I like that that slur, you know, when, when we speak. But to see these uh, – to see us finally getting represented, All-Star Game was in Charlotte. To see us finally getting represented and, and Cole is doing doing his thing um, – I, I'm not. I don't really. I'm not a really. I'm not a real huge fan of like the the young wave. I have a son who's 15, and so to listen to some of the music that he played, like the baby and you know those guys, which is cool. I'm just more happy to see that we finally getting put on the map because it's been a long time coming. Yeah, because like you said, I always felt North Carolina. We were in the middle and felt like we had to follow New York or Atlanta, because those were the two right. midway points. And I think now, finally, we started to catch our groove and get recognized for our own sound. And I'll be remiss if we didn't mention Little Brother, because Little Brother also laid the groundwork for the Ooh. baby. And, of course, Rasputin, nice which Mike Mondo nice brought Rasputin in. Right. And that was one of the things, too, because when I was in college, um, when when I when you were in UNCG, I did a year I did a year at um, A&T. And that was the, like the biggest thing when little brother was coming out with the Chitlin circuit and um, um, the foreign exchange. Um, and I was like, man, I just couldn't that sound and even when i recall when drake came out he was like all he wanted was some little brother beats some knife wonder beats with that little brother flow because to me i honestly think oh you just did something for me and i'm gonna tell you later this is a segue to my top five mcs it's crazy because it's i think you just gave me my fifth mc i was looking for it i think you just gave it to me so i'm gonna hold off on that statement i was just about to make because i think i got my fifth mc Right, because while I was a DJ at WAG, Little Brother came to do a promo run for the menstrual show because, you know, they were signed to Atlantic. And I got a chance to take a right. picture with Ninth and Pooh. And I felt that had social media would have been as big then like it is now, right. they definitely would have been a bigger success because I felt like they were, of course, from that line of tribe, black sheep, leaders of the new school, the whole Native right. Tongues, 90s golden era hip-hop. I, I would like to see... I would like to see a, a tour um, if somebody could, you know, put together, you know, of course, once we get from, from under this uh, quarantine thing, I would like to see uh, somebody put together a tour um, for the, for that caliber MC, because I, I definitely, um, the cat's cradle in Durham, I, um, I definitely, you know, would, would love to have that vibe, that old school vibe where you go to a concert and you could just wear your hoodie. You don't even have to dress up because you're literally going just for the music and um, a festival or something to that, to that magnitude because um, I think that's what the game been missing. I feel like Lyrics is coming back, and I, I'm so thankful that guys like Nas and Jay, you know, some of the old heads in the game now and the goats in the game now are still keeping it still keeping it in there in, in the in the purest form and the essence of, of the classes that, that they made back in the day. So um yeah, I, I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling the whole way 
favor that that whole scenario. Lil Bros won one of the best. I agree with that. Right, and another Southern rapper who has stayed the claim in the game from out of Memphis, Joe Gotti. He just released a record just recently. I can't recall the name of it, but he samples "I'm Ready" from Dipset, and I think Dipset, their run along yeah. with State Property, does not get mentioned enough. Cam, Jewels, Jim Jones, Freaky Ziki, Hell Rail. I mean, Dipset had the streets on fire and had everybody wearing pink, of course. Except me, I didn't follow that though. Yeah, you know, I've never been. I've never been a one to follow fast. I, um, I always say there's two types of people: is uh, thermometers and thermostats. Either you're gonna adjust to the temperature, or you're gonna set it. One of the two. I always like to set it. Um, with that said, I do agree with the the uh, the run of uh, Dipset, and uh, that was our high school years. Those were like anthems to our to to the two the early two thousands. And um, yeah, I don't think they mentioned enough either. I was just looking at a video today where Cameron was actually rapping again, and he still sound good. Jim Jones is healthy. Jewels is home. Um, you know, it, it's a good look. I, I like that Dipset was one of classic. I, you know, when I ride to that, I feel like I'm right back at school again in the car with Clark. Yeah, shout out to Clark. And Clark, because of him, it was my first introduction to Kanye West. He made me that Dream Team mixtape with Champions. I played Champions at least Man. back to back. Because I was like, who is this dude sampling Queen? And then once Through the Wire came out, that was it. I was sold on Kanye. Listen, Jarrell, I remember where I was the day that I heard Through the Wire. I was actually driving home, listening to K97.5. Shout out to D-Train and uh, Wink Moody, who was on duty. Um, I was riding home, and I um, and I remember hearing that Through the Wire sample, and I was like, who in the world is he? I remember stopping when I got home, just sitting in the car, just trying to figure out who he was. Um Fast forward when the album came when the album came out, he actually he did a run coming through A and T, and this was before people really knew who he was. Um, he did a, a um he did a um a little a small concert in the gym with Floetry, and we was able to and I I skipped work just to go hear Kanye West, and I, I'm I've always been a huge fan. I honestly feel like Kanye West is the reason why music sounds like it does now. Um, which can be a gift and a curse because it depends on whether you like it or not. But I honestly think Kanye West is the reason for a lot of that. And um, I actually stayed out of school. I want to say February the 14th when um, the college dropout came out because we didn't have a music store at that time. So I drove all the way to Rocky Mount to uh, to the music store just to buy um, the Kanye West album, um, the college dropout. Yeah, shout out to Go to East Crossing. <laughs> yes, you got. Yeah, yeah. What's left of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I remember if you went to go to East Crossing and you got something from Caymans, you would consider big time because I was just going there to window shop because I know I couldn't afford it. But I knew, like, looking at those racing coats, I was like, I want to get me one of those so yeah. bad, either that or throwback jersey. Yep, and it's it's, it's funny you said that too because I um. I was telling my son about how a lot of the things that's happening now, we were doing it then. And just to see the transition in style and how fast come and go. And I try to explain to him the difference in 
um, the difference in fashion and a fad. You know, fashion will last forever. And some of those pieces that we, we had then, we would buy them so big, man. We was buying them four and five sizes too big. And it's amazing to look back at those pictures and see. I was like, oh, man, I was wearing a dress. The you mom, know, tall tees, you, tall tees. There he is. Yes. Some tall if tees. It, did, it wanted a tall tee if it didn't go past your knee. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sir. And them Dickie jumpsuits, man. Because yeah. I remember, man, when we took them. Yeah. Man, yeah. it looked like it was a straight album mixtape cover, man, with the Dickies and the Tall Tees, you know, GMF Family Volume One. Right. You know what I'm saying? But those were good days. <laughs> but now I want to jump to the state that's north of us, VA. What was your take on when VA first got on the map with Missy, Timberland, Neptunes, everything that was coming out of the 757. Of course, and Teddy Riley set up shop with Future Studios in Virginia Beach. Yo, that's crazy too. Listen, when I when we started rapping, um, when I was in high school, uh, I gotta send a shout out to uh to McGrew Booker and Damian Scott. We started rapping, we met, we did a talent show at um William R. David. Uh, we were supposed to win. I'm going to send you some footage of it. We were supposed to win that talent show. I feel like we was robbed. But anyway, uh, the the the, the prize for winning the talent show was you get to record a song and you get some studio time and things of that nature. We met an A&R. Um, I, I'll, I'd be remiss if I didn't, didn't mention this. We met, this a, we met an A&R, and um, he actually had some connections with – the clips at the time. Um, shout out to Pusha T and Malice. Um, and so, so what we were going to do was we were supposed to go to Virginia Beach to meet up with the Neptunes, um, Pharrell and Chad. And what happened was some happened where um, they got the times mixed up or something to that nature. They was busy. And we go to the studio, a G500 pull up, Teddy Riley get out. Teddy Riley get out the G5. We standing all in a circle, and he was like, you know, he was like, "What well, rap for me?" So we started rapping for him, and he gave us some good feedback. My brother actually still has the picture that he took with Teddy Riley from that day, and we took some pictures at the studio. And I said, I had to say all that to say I didn't realize I was standing with a legend at that time. I didn't realize that he was the foundation of the whole new Jack Swing, and listening to. Uh, Magoo and Timberland, um, um, when they was first came out, and just to hear and Missy, how she just that sound and that wave of the videos, they actually was trendsetters. Um, Virginia always had a, a style and a different movement that if you was around the culture, them those guys would stand out. You can put a Virginia guy around anybody, and it's just something about the way they move. It stands out, and I guess they would probably say the same thing about an old North Carolina guy like me. Yeah, so I thought that was dope, man. Your brother got to take a picture with Teddy. I mean, Guy, Keith Sweat, the list go Black Street, the list goes on and on. Living all legend. Of Living the stuff legend. that he's touches now. A North Carolina connection with Timberland and Missy. They were in this faction called the Basement. It was genuine Timberland. Missy, Tweet, back when she was in a girl group called Sugar, Player, rest in peace, Static Major. Um, Missy was in the girl group Sister, so they cut their teeth in this camp. Now, the person that put that camp together was Devontae from Jodeci. You know, Jodeci's from North Carolina. They're from outside of Charlotte. Agreed. 
Right. You know what's crazy about that? I actually listened to the Mike Tyson podcast, and, you know, um, he actually took Missy. Um, Mike Tyson was going to start a music company. He actually took them to Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson didn't see the vision. And he was like, um, when they came in, he, he tells the story about how when he see him and he looking at him, he was like, I just didn't see the vision. That's how I realized I didn't recognize music, you know. And um, they were going to um, – they wanted to bring all the – they wanted to bring the majority of that crew to Mike Tyson, but he, he didn't want to do it. Right. But that goes to show you either ahead of the curve or you're right, right on it. And I don't know if you've been catching the No Limit and Rough Rider Chronicles on BET. Man, yes, we, can, we got we yes, gotta talk, we gotta talk about Master P and what he did for the music industry. Think about it. What black man has an indie label can walk into a company and say, I want 80% of the profits, keep my masters, you get 20. And this is at a time when that was unheard of for an indie. But see, I, I think, honestly, I know that Master P had to have a vision. And he saw for himself what he wanted to do. He Master P, you can see now, still has a strong work ethic. So... And like you said, that's that's just that's timeless. Like just having those negotiation skills without um without having the 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 backing to just go and say like give me this, give me that, and this is how we gonna do it. Yeah, that was major. Master P had money a long time before, a long time ago. I remember watching Cribs and looking at some um, background information, realizing that Master P was one of the only people on Cribs that actually own his crib. Yeah, and that's a little secret that I don't tell everybody. Them houses, those houses are rented. But to look at the content that No Limit put out during that stretch, Beats by the Pound should be mentioned with a lot of the top production teams Agreed. in the game because the way that they cranked out product was insane. Just like organized noise. A lot of those, you know, when, when, you, when you can find you, – you notice how Master P – and um, you had cash money out coming out around that same time. You notice how even though they both were counted from similar places, they still had a sound. It was a it was a no limit sound. It was like beats by the pound. They knew how to capture the artists. You can tell it was chemistry there. So when the songs would come out, that's why everybody would kind of gravitate towards that sound. They just want that no limit sound. Even though all the artists sounded different, Mystical was totally different from Silk the Shocker. Master P was totally different. See Murder. Everybody was different, but it still had cohesion with that sound. And the core was Beats by the Pound. Right. And I didn't realize when they were talking about Lil Romeo that Romeo was just as big, if not bigger than Bow Wow. Bow Wow, yeah. And it was um it was crazy because that was one of those times too where um that era started ushering in a whole new dynamic of talent because now looking at it from kids and it kind of put you it kind of bring you back to that whole crisscross field with uh Jermaine Dupree. Right. And then also at this same time, Bow Wow, Romeo was out. These guys, I felt they were next in line to pick up where New Edition left off in terms of their pop R&B success in the mid-80s, and that was B2K. I didn't like B2K at first when they first came out, but the girls did. B2K, I remember one time when I was in Greensboro, I guess it was that, what was that tour called? Uh, the the uh, Scream Tour? Or the, or the Scream Tour. Yeah, and, and my brother and I, we was, at, we was over getting some Chinese food, 
and um, they radioed in on one of the cops, on one of the cops CB. He was like, what y'all doing here? And I was like, what you mean? He was like, they say it's 2,000 girls over at the mall because B2K is over there. I'm just like, man, they there for B2K, not me. But um, yeah, they, they did. It was a different wave. And even seeing him at house party, I mean, with some of the class acts with uh, some of the brothers from Immature that kind of linked into the whole B2K era. It is amazing how um, you could see the transition with with all of those guys. And, and I honest, I agree with you. Looking back on their catalog, they can tour right now and still sell out shows. Yeah, because they did a reunion tour like last year and it sold out, did numbers. And another person that was affiliated with Chris Stokes, that was Janae Aiko. And to see where she's at now, where her career is right. Just right, right, huge, which is just yeah, she, she crazy is. now when I think about she, it. She, and then another person who's from VA, that's a little bit closer to our area. I thought when this guy came out, that was a win for us, even though we were not VA, but it was still a big win. Trey Songz, who was from up the road in Petersburg. Agreed. Remember, uh, I remember you said we met in sixth grade. Our teacher, Miss Braden, actually taught Trey Songz in school. And also Trey Songz went to barber school, which was kind of, you know, which was two cool things I learned about him right along with and he's right down the road from Chris Brown. So, you know, yeah, I agree with you. It was kind of when, when those states touch, the, the people touch. So, yeah, it was a win-win for both of us. Yeah, definitely a big win-win. And then, you know, we had another big win when Fantasia auditioned for America Idol, ended up winning the whole thing. And, of course, she's related to Casey and JoJo. And then also they're all related to Anthony Hamilton. Anthony Hamilton. Yeah, um, I don't know if you do. You remember? Um, it's crazy. I knew when um, when I, I knew when I spoke with you it was one thing I was gonna ask. You remember uh, since we both was in Greensboro, we frequent the Greensboro area at the same time. Do you remember Brandon D? Yes, I do. All right, Brandon D was um, he was um, he was managed by Jay White, which was Anthony Hamilton's um, cousin, and that's how they used to get Rico Barino singing a lot of the hooks and stuff for uh, Brandon D. Um, which is crazy because High Point is right down the road from Greensboro. Yeah, I I didn't know Jay White was related to Anthony Hamilton because I remember yeah. the DJ, of course, at UAG. Rico would come through the studio all the time on my boy Chris Lee's show. So with um, Joe Barino and uh, T. Weezy, who is now with the Hamiltons. So it's just crazy That's to true. see how all of this local talent just ended up flourishing, you know, when somebody comes in, everybody else comes in right after, does their thing. Now, I want to take it to the R&B side a little bit. Uh, Sybil, I just did, recently did an interview with her and come to find out that she has people from around this way. And she also went to A&T. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she got uh, family in Enfield. Uh, okay, well, keeping it, well, if you want to keep it on the uh, R&B, you can't, you can't, um, you can't fail to, uh, Neglect Sunshine Anderson, who was of right, course. who came right out of uh, right, right out of Central. Oh yeah, Central. I mean, North Carolina. We've always had talent. Like we stated earlier, it's about time that we got that recognition. Now, you mentioned organized noise earlier. Are you familiar with the band Brick? Ain't gonna hurt nobody. Those records. Okay. Yes. Yes. All I'm right. familiar with. I'm familiar with their work. Yes. Well, one of the members of Brick is the dad of Sleepy Brown. Wow, that's amazing, man! Like, 
it's, you know, I guess it's genetics, man. The talent, the talent that you have or the passion that you have has to bleed through your, it has to go through your veins and your kids are going to get some of it. So it, it, was, it doesn't surprise me, but um, that, that's crazy. I did not know that. Right. And it's also crazy to think how with Atlanta, how it became, it still is the Mecca for current urban music. And that all started, of course, before LA and Babyface with the face, you had Cameo, you had SOS Band out of Atlanta, right. and they kind of set the stage for what was to come when LA and Babyface decided to set up shop in Atlanta with LaFace, and then of course Bobby Brown ended up moving down to Atlanta, doing his peak with Don't Be Cruel, which still is a banger album. But when Outkast came out, I remember a lot of people thinking that, man, this ain't going to sell. They're from Georgia. Everybody still thought at the time that us in the South, we're still listening to Uncle Luke and Miami bass. So did right. you think that when Outkast came out with Southern Playlistic, that it was going to be a tough sell to other regions who looked down on Southern hip hop, even though we had what was coming out of Memphis with 3-6 and Spanish Fly and Houston with Jay Prince and Rap-A-Lot and Ghetto Boys? I think I think at the time, um, what what was weird was being from North Carolina. You always had a uh, family that was from the north, and oh, you have some family from deeper south. And I think most of the time, I would get a lot of the the music because you know our stations would only play certain things. So I would get a lot of the music that I wouldn't hear on the radio from cousins coming in or, you know, and you, and you start hearing these things and you're like, who, who are those guys? Or you might get a late night mix and they may start mixing some stuff up that they don't play during main, you know, during the main time of the day. And so you would get those different songs and you would record those on cassettes and you would look and, and, and start to, that music would just start to mold into you. So, and of course, with, with the absence of the internet at the time and um, no social media, it was slow dragging. Now music comes out, somebody put something out today, and then next week they got a whole nother CD out. Then you would have to wait, and it was like such a campaign to set up for what was going to happen whenever the album would drop because the only the only way you had uh, resources was magazines and the radio for the most part and some TV. Right, because I can remember, like you said, if you had family that was from up north or further south, they would take what was hot in their area to our spot. And while I was out months prior in those regions, we would get it super late because that's how I heard a lot of DJ Absolute Cool Kid, Kid Capri, Funk Flex, Clue, a lot of the New York stuff, and that just seeped its way in. And now with Rough Riders, let's talk about them for a second. These guys took the street element of rap, and the whole culture was just grimy and dirty. And they went pop with it. I mean, DMX was the unlikely pop star. And I didn't know this until watching part one, that he had a single deal with Rough House. And he put out a record right. called Born Loser. And I didn't know that Chad Elliott, who produced Stilo for 702, produced that. And I'm going to give you a little bit of tidbit for you. Do you remember the movie Crush Groove? Yes. Do you know the little kid that was singing that song, Be My Girl, in the talent show before the Fat Boys came on? Right, right. That, that was him. Chad Elliott. Wow. That was, that was him as a kid. Wow! No, I didn't. I did not know that. That's that's amazing. It's crazy. But what stood out to me about that first episode was um, the fact that um, 
when when DMX when he was when he was speaking and rap, the way he used to rap, and when they was talking about when um he went and met up, well it must have not been the first episode. It was the episode when him and Jay Z met up, and they said that they got footage of that of that uh battle, but they didn't record DMX because his stuff wasn't copywritten yet. So they didn't. They asked him not to record when he when he rapped. So nobody. That's like some unforeseen stuff that we would never get to hear. Right, and I'm gonna bring a connection to a New York rapper who is currently residing in North Carolina in the connection with Jigga. You know, Jigga came up under the B.I.G. Day Double D.Y.K. Would bring him on stage, rap in between sets, and that's how Jay Z got his foot in the door. Because when I first heard that Big Daddy Kane was living in North Carolina, I was like, You mean to tell me my top five MC? That's one of my top five BDK. I'm like, okay. He's living in North Carolina now? Because I had a couple of older cousins. He lives in, he lives in Durham, I think. Yeah, I had a couple of older cousins told me they had a Big Daddy Kane site in like in different spots. I'm like, What? Because like the symphony, my all time favorite posse cut. Oh man, put a quarter in you because you played, you played yourself. yourself. Yeah, shout out to Marley Maul. Marley Maul, one of my top producers, along with Teddy, Ellie, LA, and Babyface, and Jam and Lewis. I mean, Marley Maul for his production, he don't get enough credit for what he's done. And he did this straight fire remix of Straight Up for Paul Abdul that I heard about maybe a year or so ago. And it was dope. I mean, Look at what he's done for Cold Chillin', everybody that came out of there, but the work that he did for LL on the Mama Say Knock You Out album. Yeah, I think um, a lot of times, uh, even guys like um, No ID, a lot of those guys, a lot of those producers, um, um, Jake Diller, um, um, God bless the dead, a lot of those guys that um, were, were uh, very talented, um, high tech, um, Talib Kweli, I mean, high tech, uh, a lot of great great producers and a lot of times like you said that's why when when we spoke about the Nas album I think it's kind of cool that the producer get this get get as much recognition as he does um by you know of course hit boy constantly saying hit boy throughout the entire album you know what I'm saying and it just it gives it it gives it the the no face and identity and I kind of like that because sometimes I remember back in the day when a beat came on like I can tell a premier beat, like I could tell a DJ premier beat in it anywhere. You know what I'm saying? It's it's so signature. Dr. Dre was another one. I used to could tell a Dre beat anywhere. When a beat coming, I'm like, man, that's Dre. The Neptunes, I could tell the Neptunes beat anywhere. You know what I'm saying? But now the way the game is going, like the the production is so different, it's kind of hard to do that. So for for you to have that insight on the face, putting it with the with the producer, that, that's real awesome, man. That's cool. Right, and I didn't know this until watching the most recent episode of Rough Rider Chronicles that Swiss Beats was Winding's nephew. I didn't know that. Right. When I saw when I was saw when I saw they said first, let's meet the Deans, I knew that Swiss had to come in there because he's Kasim Dean. I knew he had to come in some kind of way. I just didn't know how. Another producer. I could tell a Swiss beat anywhere. I honestly think Swiss beats probably from ninety. What year was that? Maybe like ninety eight. Yeah, Dark Swiss and Hell is Hot came running, out in ninety eight. I, I think Swiss beats has been running uh, the rap game on the low ever since then. There's no, there's no top artist period that ever had a Swiss beat that wasn't a, a hit somewhere. Noriega used to. I mean, Noriega had that 
just when Swiss came and started doing things for him, um, even the Neptunes with Noriega, a lot of times, like, when you look at their history and look at some of the tracks that they put out, a lot with, with these verses, when you start listening to the catalog of music that he has, Swiss doesn't get enough credit, I think, either. Swiss is one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, but got to give shout-outs to PK and Dame Grease because they had fire, too, on, on DMX Dame and Grease Rough Riders. Agreed. That, that first DMX, um, is Dark and Hell is Hot, that was a classic. Right, because I just interviewed recently um, Lawrence Law Worrell. He's a musician, and his granddad was Sam Bluesman Taylor, who played in the rhythm section for BT I Express. And he told me the story about when he first played for his granddad, Get At Me Dog, which samples BT Express, and he played on it. But you could go to TuneIn Radio or any streaming platform to hear that. So I found it was kind of cool how he was breaking that down to me and about how, you know, I signed away this, so when it gets sampled and becomes a hit, I don't get to eat off of it. So, which is important Agreed. for those of you that are artists, don't sign away your publishing. Agree. And, what, and what's crazy, I, I actually, I listen, um, <clears throat> shout out to Law, because I listen, at that, 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 that guy, man, he's, he's so in tune with the music, and I listen to that uh, podcast. Well, I've listened to every. First of all, I want to tell you, I listen to every one of your podcasts, all of them. There's not one podcast that um, you have that I, I haven't listened to yet. I'm working on your um, some of your YouTube stuff now, but I've listened to every podcast you have on Anchor, um, and it's so insightful. Some of the things that you get from it when you don't know and understanding why. Jay-Z now was talking about, like, you know, own your own masters and how much, what he had to do in order to get the masters from Reasonable Doubt. And um, when Nas said, when they asked Nas, um, who was the only artist that you didn't get to work with that you wanted to work with? He said, I wanted to work with Prince. He said, but what happened? He said, I went to Prince and he asked me the first thing he said, do you own your masters? And he said, no. He was like, no, I can't work with you here. So as we know now, Prince was all up on the do-it-yourself, own-for-self back when it was still the old way of doing things where you go say, please listen to my demo, please listen to my demo, EPMD reference right there, and how right. you had to go through a record company and the contracts weren't in the artist's favor. And that's why he scrawled slave across his face and said, I'm not going to use my name because you're taking my birth name making green off of it. So I'm going to change it to a symbol and protest. So Prince is all about independence from jump. I like that. I think that was, that was one of the biggest things about Prince. Prince was, a, um, Prince was a revolutionary. Prince was more than just an artist. Um, his artistry surpassed uh, a lot of almost anything that's going on right now. He has a stamp in music that will never be that that's uncomfortable. And, um, I honestly feel like I, I think that um, I, I like that message he was putting out. That whole independence, I love that message. Right, Michael Jackson was kind of on that too about owning masters. Agreed. You know, he made Agreed. that boss move. He owned the Beatles, the Beatles catalog. You know, because yep. if you think about it, Off the Wall for me is his best album. While Thriller was more catered to the pop crowd, Off the Wall was R&B all the way. You had production from Quincy. You had. Rob Tipperton from Heatwave writing. You had James Ingram doing some stuff on there. Greg Fillingains on the keyboards on there. And it was just a great, well-polished album. And I feel like the closest this generation kind of has to a Michael, to me, is Beyonce. 
in terms of global status. Understood. I, I would agree with that. I concur. I, I can't. I couldn't think of another person. Um, it seemed like at times, especially looking for a male, a male artist to fulfill those shoes. At times, it seemed like we have something that's on the brink, and then something that happened, and it just. You know, the music started to get bad, or it just, you know, it, it changed the whole trajectory of their career, and they're not even mentioned in that whole stature anymore. So I, I would agree with that. I think she's the uh, best live performing artist that we'll ever see in our time. Right, and bringing it back to Rough Riders, a little bit of connection to Bad Boy, I didn't know that the locks was affiliated with Rough Riders from the very beginning. And when they got signed to Bad Boy, that Rough Riders kept them on on the management side. But Diddy, the way that he was able to say, I'm going to take hip hop and smooth it out, make it more digestible for the mainstream, have it getting played in the clubs. Because when he was signed to Uptown, when he was at Uptown still before he got let go, Rest in peace, Andre Harrell. Biggie was signed to Uptown. And I didn't notice until Questlove mentioned it when he was doing a Biggie set that Biggie had an Uptown version of the Ready to Die album. And when Diddy left to go do Bad Boy, they scrapped that and created a whole new Ready to Die from scratch. Wow. I, I wish I was the fly on the wall to hear some of those sessions and some of those lost verses that we'll never, you know, I can't, I, I know, and, it, and even in reference to um, the whole Rough Riders thing, I was listening to Swiss Beats when he and, um, he and um, Just Blaze did a verses, and he played a song that had Nas, uh, Jay-Z, DMX, and Jadakiss on it, and mm. it's never been released. And he's like, the reason why he never – he said the reason why he never released it is because every time when he about to put it out, one of them will call and be like, I want to change my verse. Because they was just that competitive no, that nobody wanted to outshine anybody. But he played it. If you go and um, look it up, you can just Google that. And he plays it. He played a song just doing one of those sessions. But he was like, he can't release it because they keep on calling him, telling him, I want to change my verse. Right. And this was back when you used to have posse cuts. And the big thing on a posse cut was you wanted to go last because going last was like being the home run hitter. And a classic posse cut scenario, Trial Call Quest, Rest in Peace Fife, Leaders of the New School. And what was your thoughts when you first heard Busta Rhymes come in on scenario and then him take off with his solo career? It, it's weird when you look at the origin of rappers, even like when you mentioned um, with Jay-Z, with Kane, and just, just the style change and actually finding their own identity. You start to realize at the time that they're, they're protégés because they're really just mimicking what they feel like great is. And then eventually they become great. And then they start setting the standard. Again, the temperature, the, the thermostat and the thermometer. Um, eventually, um, Thermometers can become thermostats, you know, and I think that that's what you see when you witness a protege come. Jay Z used to sound like Kane. He sound like Jazz. He used to sound like um um he sound like uh, the guys that we spoke about. This uh, Ski was with, um, and and the same with Busta Rhymes. And then to see how he kind of originated out of that, out of that, out of the origin in which he came in and just flourished. I think honestly, lyrically. I think lyrically, Busted Rhymes is probably one of the top MCs that ever do it, lyrically. 
Yeah, because if you think about it, where he came from LONS and then solo career, he's still getting them checks, getting that money. And then I want to take it further back. We can't talk about hip hop if we don't talk about that little label that was started in the NYU dorm room by Mr. Rick you already know. And then later came in Russell Simmons, Russ Simmons. Def Jam. I mean, Def, if there was no Def Jam, Def there Jam. would be no commercial hip hop as we know it today. And we got to give mention also to the late Sylvia Robinson and Sugar Hill Records with the Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. And then you also had your other indies like Enjoy, Sleeping Bag, Select, Wild Pitch. And they were the forefathers to Def Jam, but Def Jam just really took it over the top with all the commercial success with LL, Public Enemy, um, Beastie Boys. The list goes on to all the, all the great acts that came out of that label. So tell me about Def Shout Jam. Shout out to Beastie Boys. I, I, my 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 or my uh my first uh take with Def Jam was um my mother had tougher than leather on record, and so I remember uh the I read I was reading um Steve Stout book The Tanning of America, and he was speaking about how he came upon marketing, and he was like he remember being in Germany or somewhere he was somewhere overseas and Ron DMC was performing in front of like 10,000 people and he was like everybody knew the words to the song which was cool he was like but when they did my Adidas everybody in the crowd took their shoes off and was holding Adidas he realized the impact and the influence that hip-hop was gonna have on marketing and that's pretty much what sparked his whole trajectory and where he went because of that you can't you can't leave out Def Jam as not being a part of what we see now in modern day times um, as the blueprint to what hip hop is. Def Jam is hip hop. It is hip hop, and then we're gonna go out west. So before Def Row, you had acts such as the LA Dream Team. You had Egyptian Lover, Uncle Jam's Army, and their style of West Coast hip hop before NWA was more high energy dancey rap but right. when nwa right. came out with strata compton that album was the sonic boom that let everybody else know like hey the west coast got something to say i mean the work that la dre did on all those west coast albums arabian prince and had this guy not gotten in his accident he would have been top five rappers doa for me doc DOC was tough. A lot of people don't give credit. You, and it goes back to what we were saying initially. You gotta like the the thing about like the thing about the world that we live in now is it gives so much individuality to everybody that's in the group. So now when you find a group, you know, again, I know you are a huge uh, new kids on the block fan. If you weren't a fan and if you didn't follow them, you didn't know everybody in the group. You know, so now when you get these new groups that come out, um, you can identify with each person individually because everybody has a social media. You can follow them separate. You can follow the group or you can follow, you can pick the one that you like. DOC was so behind the scenes and um, his DOC's uh, delivery, 
um, his his uh his, the way he put work DLC was like was one of the great one of the best. And I guess with Q being around and the way they did and and, and them knowing kind of how to push one guy and and that one guy would pull the whole group, meaning like easy. And then Drake had they everybody. It was more so like role players. So you didn't really get to see the talent unless you actually dug deeper into listening to the people individually. Right. And we're going to go a little bit further north in Cali up to the Bay Area. The Bay got some rappers, you know, of course, E-40, Too Short. Now we got G-40, the late, great Mac Dre, Godfather of the hyphy movement. Rest in peace, Mac Dre. But this guy, I felt at the time was getting clowned on because he was making rap more pop. But now we know that that was what was needed in order for rap to get to where it is today. And I'm talking about Stanley Burrell, a.k.a. MC Hammer. MC Hammer, man. I, I think, again, performance-wise, um, top performer, he changed the game. I mean, Oakland, I, I, want, I want a Raiders. I just ordered a Raiders hat the other day, man. I, and it's just crazy because Hammer – Hammer took the game to another level. It, like you said, it put the pop into it, but it still was lyricism. You can't say that Hammer wasn't a rapper, even though he danced, even though he, you know, it was like Bobby Brown rapping. <laughs> right, and Bobby, even though he was R&B, his whole look and style was hip-hop. Don't Be Cruel was the biggest selling album hip-hop. of 89. That album went diamond. I mean, he was... And then set the stage for his bandmates, BBD, because BBD took the hip-hop style and said, hey, forget new edition. We're going to dress with boots, sneakers, overalls, one strap, airbrushed. And then Michael Bivens hit us upside the head with four cats on Philly, boys to men, and became the biggest selling male group of all Boys to men. Boys to men. So I'm a huge boys to men fan. Um, yeah, man, boys, man. I got a chance to see them a couple years ago in Vegas at their residency. Dope, still vocally sound the same, even though Michael is no longer with them. And it's still amazing to see how they still sound so great. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory of a connection with Boys to Men and 112. Now, coming off of the Cooler High Harmony album, both of it was produced by Dallas Austin, another producer that doesn't get enough credit for his stuff with them, TLC. Hey. Worked with Madonna on Bedroom Stories and actually did two cuts off a of Troops Attitude album. That was his beginning point. But Boyz II Men was coming off of that album, going into making the two album. And Tim and Bob, they had tracks for him. And Gerald Busby, who was head of Motown at the time, said, I don't want to have new producers work on the biggest act in the world. So he, they took those songs that was original for Boyz II Men and put those on 112 for their debut album. Wow. So, like, Can I Touch wow. You Dead? That, that's crazy. Pain. That's those, crazy. Those 112 records, I think they were originally for Boys to Men. Yeah, but that's, that's crazy. crazy. That, that was a huge alley oop. He yeah. threw him a nice alley oop. A, 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 a nice one. And to think about Boys to Men and Jodeci, the contrast and styles, both of them were four man groups, but one had a style and an appeal that was more for the pop audience. While Jodeci was straight R&B all the way. Because I don't think nobody was really wearing Timberlands like that before Jodeci. 
but that just goes to show you the yeah, eye for the, Diddy's that, marketing the, talent because Diddy was able to take four guys from North Carolina, country gospel boys, wearing suits in the 5MC, treat them like they want to be treated video, and have them dress like how they would dress up north. I mean, Baggy, Timberlands, and KC, vocally, a baby Bobby Womack, Stephen Stubborn you know, I still, I love one of the one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies is Life, and I love it just because of that that title track that comes with it, man. Um, KC, I, it's so much soul, I, I you can't even. It, it's crazy, right? And the come and talk to me, the album version. I'll be sure on Kyle West, they do not get enough props, enough credit for their production work. Not only for Al B and Jodeci, but Tevin Campbell. Um, I'll be sure did work for David Bowie, did remixes for Robert Palmer. I mean, I'll be sure was no joke production-wise because night, night and Day and half of the records off in effect mode, I think they were primarily demos because Night and Day, he submitted it to a contest for Sony and ended up winning, and that's how he got the attention of Quincy Jones. Wow. That's, that's crazy. And those connections, the way the game is so intertwined, um, I think it's I think it's the six degrees of separation. I believe you could connect anybody in the industry to somebody else through six through five people. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, J Lo's current manager, I believe, is Benny Medina. So the connection with Benny Medina is that he was an exec at Warner Brothers. And this little show that came on the Peacock Network, aka NBC, was supposedly based on his life. And that show was none other than Fresh Prince of Bel Air starring Will Smith, who was still known at the time as the Fresh Prince. Now, a lot of people would clown DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, but their stuff was hard. Jazzy Jeff, one of my top DJs. He is a beast on the turntables. One of the best. I, you know, I was looking at some of Jeff, some of Jeff's stuff, and um, they was they was showing how it's amazing how you give so much credence to the rapper when the rapper was trying to give it all to the DJ back then. It was all about I got the better DJ. Your DJ is not better than mine. And Jazzy Jeff was one of the best. Yeah, Philly, New York, LA put out top tier DJs, and then another state that's right across the bridge from New York, Jersey. Everybody felt Jersey didn't really have rappers. But as we saw later on, Jersey got some spitters. You know, we had Lords of the Underground who went to school at Central, I believe. You had Queen Latifah, of course, out of there. The late Apache. Um, you have, of course, Naughty from Jersey. And another one of my top five MCs, Reggie Noble, a.k.a. Redman. Redman. Redman, yeah. I, um, I love I love Redman. Redman is... Uh, classic album one of those classic albums that, that um that, that's been put out in jersey i mean he literally put jersey on his back he, he's one of the best to ever do it coming out of jersey uh hands down it may be i mean may be the best i mean hands down i another one that don't get enough credit right and he also came in the game through uh epmd now epmd eric sermon another one that doesn't get enough credit for his production the green eye bandit I mean, crossover. Eric, your customers making dollars. Yes, sir. Because everybody thought when you got the chill came out that the EPMD was a West Coast act. Because not really a lot of East Coast acts were sampling funk records. But now it's primarily a lot of West Coast acts were doing funk samples at the time. 
But back out west, the impact of Dr. Dre and The Chronic, mm -hmm. when that album dropped, it was like rap changed. Because before that, it was very pro-conscious, public enemy, brand Nubian, poor righteous teachers, ex-Klan. But once The Chronic came out in 92, Dr. Dre and the West Coast came in the front and said, we here now. The West Coast got our own yeah. sound and you're going to love it. I think the chronic I think the chronic album is uh a testament to the West overall. I don't think that you could come from the West as a rapper and not use that as your background and learning your history on your area. I think the chronic for the West Coast was all was like what Illmatic was for New York. Right. It was definitely a landscape album for the West and then a year later Snoop came out with Doggy Style, and then also at the same time, Tupac was, was out doing his thing with, you know, Tupacalypse Now, and then Strictly For My, and then then goes on and on, and then to see his transition into acting, then of course, sadly, his life was cut short out in Vegas, and same right. thing, you know, with, with Big, when Big came out with Ready To Die in 94, that brought New York back on the map, and then Life After Death, and he ended up passing away, I think, six, seven months after Pop. So to think about how we lose, right. we lost these two iconic rappers over something so trivial, whereas East Coast versus West Coast, because there's enough room for everybody to eat. But I just think it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff where folks who were of the street brought the street to the industry and then want to let that go and realize, hey, there's enough room for everybody at the table. I agree with that. And then I also think media marketing has a lot to do with it. Um, when they start to, um, when, when the violence got into music, when the violence got into, when the violence got into communities, it also got into music. Um, as a direct result to that, it would, uh, it overflowed. And so anybody who uh, held any reins in the music game were forced to either compromise their integrity with their art and not say certain things, or they were forced to just go against what the, the consensus of the world was, meaning they were promoting violence just because they were speaking in reference to things that they literally grew up around that the media would not televise. So because of that, you know, you're going to have casualties in war. And it's just unfortunate that two of two great MCs did, uh, did perish due to that. And at the same time, the South, we were in the middle of the East Coast, West Coast feud. And at the Source Award, Andre 3000 got on stage when Outkast won Best New Artist and said the South got something to say. And as we see, Atlanta is still running it. Now, JD, his dad was Michael Mal is Michael Malden, who put together the Fresh Fest tour. JD was a dancer on that tour, you know, with UTFO, Houdini, Bad Boys. He did Six Times Lover put together crisscross and then so so deaf escape and i just think it's just a testament to his ingenuity to where i'm not going to be like diddy or dre i'm going to be who i am right. which is a guy from atlanta make stuff that's like atlanta make it cross to us and as we see he hit that sweet spot of course crisscross escape really hit Pater with Usher once he hooked up with him for My Way, Confessions 8701, and so on and so forth. So tell me about the impact JD has had on the game. J JD was one of those, um, another one of those guys who 
Um, he saw an avenue that I don't think other people, other producers saw. JD was more like JD didn't. He was more of a, he was more the, of the artist producer. JD also writes a lot because he did a lot for Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey. Um, as a result of that. Uh, he he never JD was never like a one track person. I mean, he'll do something. He did some with the kids, meaning you know he knew how to market crisscross and bow wow. And then of course again with the with the music groups he had and him and Usher was just like classic together. I think JD is one of those guys who's multi talented and in reference he has a stake in hip hop just because. He does know how to target that audience, but I think he's one of those guys. He's he he would make he's a great A and R. Um, he has an A and R mind to where he just knows how to recognize talent and he knows exactly how to uh, enhance the artists and make them the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And still sticking in Atlanta, we have a guy who started out in radio in Atlanta around the same time as Ryan Cameron and. Lala, uh, Chris Love Love was his radio name at the time, but we all know him as Ludacris. He came out with Incognito first, which was a southern regional hit, and then once he got signed to Def Jam South, which was headed by Scarface, and he re-released some of the cuts from Incognito, called it back for the first time, and to see where he's at now to where we know him more for acting, and then he also brought into the game a guy who was in the group player circle, went by the name Titty Boy at the time, and then later rechristened himself Two Chains. And we see where Two, two Chains is now. So tell me about the impact of Ludacris and DTP. Um, Ludacris, I saw Ludacris in concert at one of A&T Homecomings. And um, it was crazy because uh, Luda is a hit maker. If 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 and if Luda was a basketball player, he's a scorer. He kn- he knows the climate of the game. His lyricism was always a one. Um, even some of his antics on the track would kind of put you in a Buster Rhyme sight mind because he didn't mind changing his voice or stretching vowels or making up words or whatever it took. But it never sound. It never was corny. It was his lane. He understood what his lane was. He stayed in it. And I think that DTP, of course, they blossomed a lot of hit music at the time. And I feel like Luda had a good run in the game. Luda, um, his catalog is very extensive as well. Um, and I think that his music aged well. I was listening to Welcome to Atlanta the other day, and it, it still sounded like it did when I first turned it on. And it, it was a nice track. Yeah, now this guy out of Atlanta, when he debuted with I'm Serious, it was original hit. My cousin, she went to go see this guy perform. I think we was doing club dates promoting that album. And little did we know a couple years later, once trap music came out, that he would be the king of the South. And now he got his podcast expeditiously. He got his various shows on VH1. And he's married to Tiny from Escape. So let's talk about T.I. T.I., my dude, Trap Music, my favorite album, um, my favorite um, T.I. album. Um, it, it, it was, that was, 
T.I.'s run in the game was so – it was it was during our era. I recall seeing T. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, the same um, the same homecoming that I saw Ludacris at T.I. was there, and this was when 24s was first coming out. And I remember T.I. got off the stage at the, at the uh, Greensboro Coliseum, walked off the stage and walked all the way to the back of the auditorium and turned around and walked right back up doing 24s. And it was just like it changed the game and revolutionized rims like Spreewells did. Now all of a sudden you can't have 22s no more. If it ain't 24s, you're not. You're riding small. And T.I. was able to brand himself over and over again, as you can see, he still has his hands in different realms and um, avenues in the music industry. And I think T.I. is one of those guys who has a, a great potential to be a revolutionary as well. I love his um, I love his views. His podcast is cool. And um, T.I., again, one of those guys almost made it, but he's not on my list of top five, but he has a huge impact. I, I, he got to be in the top 20 somewhere. Though. Right, and I think this region of the country, we talked about it a little bit with Kanye, the Midwest doesn't really get enough credit for the spitters that they produce. You know, the Brats from the Midwest, from Chicago, even though she's affiliated with So So Deaf, Common Sense, now known as Common, out of Chicago, and Twister from Chicago, right. Do or Die, Chicago, and then I found recently these high school kids marching bands on YouTube, they're playing Hey by Crucial Conflict. And I'm like, what do y'all know about Crucial Conflict and Hey? And I think the Midwest in general don't get enough credit for all the spitters. We, we also go to Detroit with Slum Village and then Eminem out of Detroit, of course, Voice the Five Nine out of Detroit. And then this guy who I did not like at first. I didn't think he was going to be a big hit when Country Grammar came out. I was like, uh, one hit wonder. Who won't be back? Nelly out of Duluth, St. Louis. Nelly, another album that went diamond um, the first time out, out the gate. I think Nelly, probably, the majority of Nelly money probably still coming from Country Grammar. Country Grammar, another one of my favorite albums. I remember, I, re I can remember when, um, that when the when the title track came out and just the video shoot and the jerseys and the Rams and Nelly was just I, Nelly had a crazy impact on the game and I I like I I like how he transitioned as well as he progressed and then he understood his run but again I that's that was kind of the, the 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 thing I was saying was you can take those albums from any of those guys that we've named and put them on now and they still have a, a place. I'm just wondering, is the new music that's coming out now going to age as well 10, 15 years from now like that music yeah. did? Those guys made classic sounds. Yeah, None of them sound the same. Yeah, because like with Nellyville, um, Hot and Her was the big hit off of that album. And you know, that sample's busting loose by the late, great Chuck Brown, Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Chuck Brown was actually born in our area. You know, um, La Kitchen Delight, uh, Mr. Webb. Shout out to Mr. Webb and La Kitchen Delight. They he had a a, a, a photo up of Chuck Brown, and he was kind of giving me some background information because um, uh, there's a little small restaurant in Garrysburg that one of my father's friends owned, and he was telling me about because he's he moved from here and went to D.C., and he was telling me about how he knew Chuck Brown and how um, Chuck Brown did have a lot of um, a lot of roots right, right around here in the country. 
Yeah, Go-Go, Popular Sound, DMV, you know, Triple Funk, EU, Rare Essence, TCB. Even though we're not near D.C., we're close enough in proximity to where we get a little bit of that go-go swing. You can still incorporate a go-go set here and there. You'll get people moving, get people shaking, and then back to the Midwest again. Easy e who we mentioned earlier, had a hand in discovering this group out of Cleveland, Ohio. Bone, Thugs, and thugs. Harmony. Right, man, Bone, another another crew that revolutionized lyricism along with the, the likes of those like Twister who had this and, and and they were actually what they said they were they were thugs in harmony. The the music didn't even sound like rap. It, it it had its own distinct, and that's what I miss about the game so much. Today everything sound the same. Back then, every from from Bone, from Nelly, from Ludacris, from Dr. Dre, from anybody we named, they when the song came on, you you knew it was them. And you wanted to hear that sound, and it didn't sound like anything else. And I just, I can't accredit Bone enough to how much they took uh, pockets of music that they was able to fit in with lyrics and just changed the way rappers rap. Right. I think Bone set a level when they put Biggie on um, Notorious Thugs, and it was just different. Yeah, it hits different, just like that old glass where it had the little ripples and the water just hits. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that Angie Stone has a place in hip-hop as being one a part of one of the first female rap groups? Wow, did not she know was, that. She was in this rap group that was signed to Sugar Hill Records called Sequence, and they had a record called we're going to funk you right on up. We're going to funk you right on up. Dr. Dre kind of paid tribute to that and keep the heads ranking. If you listen to his beginning verse saying, we're going to funk you right on up. So that was tribute to that. You know, Angie Stone from South Carolina, and she was wow. married at one point in time to D'Angelo. You know, D'Angelo's from Richmond. Right, right. And I, yeah, I kind of, I knew, I knew her ties to D'Angelo. I did not know that she had any ties to the rap game that extensive though. Yeah, yeah, man. Not a lot of people know that. And another rap group who I felt underrated, guys out west, I believe they're from Oakland, on the conscious vibe, but they were still dope. Souls of Mischief. Souls of Mischief was nice, man. I think that was that was ushering in that era of when the creativity in the music seemed like it was at its peak. I think um, that's another thing that's lacked now, uh, even having concepts to songs. It's like everything is about one general concept. It's like throw the beat on, come up with a hook, come up with a chorus, and then we just going to rap. It's not going to be any, none of those, it's no more storytelling. It's, it's none of that. So um, you got to give a shout out to them, man. They, 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 they revolutionized the game as well. Right. And then, as we know right now, the Sunshine State is also – running things, you know, we mentioned before, Uncle Luke and Luke Records laid the groundwork, the Two Live crew, MC Shadi, who's from Atlanta, but was signed to Luke Records. And then later on, you had Slip and Slide with Trick Daddy, Trina. And then of course, now we see Pitbull, who was originally signed with Luke on Luke Records. You got Rose, Ricky Ross out there doing his thing and DJ, and DJ Khaled. So tell me a little bit about the Sunshine State and their impact on the music industry. 
I think um, once um, – because I, I can recall when Trina first stepped in, and, of course, anytime somebody get a, can get a female to pop like that, like like she did, um, as you can see, like females kind of running a part of the rap game right now, um, I think that's always a huge plus. Um, once you start – adding in trick having his you know his, his he had a little run and putting his hands in of course rick ross when ross came out it literally that dope boy sound that um that young jeezy movement that can't ban the snowman movement all of that kind of came in around the same time and it made you it, it also it gave a, a different flair to just to the, the drug culture in music and um ross hasn't has been more consistent than I thought he would have been initially when I first heard every day I'm hustling I couldn't see Rick Ross having the longevity that he has now I saw the talent but again that wasn't my lane of music that I was listening to so when I, heard, I was like okay that's cool and then now that I see him on the side of the likes of Jay-Z on the side of the likes of any top artist now and his, his catalog is so crazy Ross is one of the best, one of the best to do it. Uh, again, probably will be ranked in the top 20 in the future. Um, Khaled, of course, he round everybody up. He knew how to, he knows how to pick, put certain people on tracks that you wouldn't hear on the same track together. And I, I love that. I love when that gumbo, when you can throw uh, Justin Bieber on a song and, you know, and it's like, and it sounds good with whoever, with whatever rapper that you put up there with him. Khaled is, he, he, he a genius. I like Khaled. I right. like what they're doing for the game. Right. And that's a skill in itself, matching the right artist with the right song, right producer. Yes. And now Mississippi, Mississippi doesn't get enough credit, but two people that came out of Mississippi that still have a strong impact. You got Big Crit out of Mississippi. My dude. And of course, David Banner. Who I was totally shocked when he found when I found out how much Ti paid him for the beat for Rubber Band Man. How much like, did he pay him? It was like a low number, something that was like really you lowballed yourself for that hot beat. But Ti did his thing with that beat. But Mississippi, those two guys, I mean, crazy man, Crit. Crit is like one of one of the most underrated of the new of the newer old guys. Crit will fall in like our age group, so he's not new. He's not old. Crit, his his production is crazy, and his lyrics is nice. Crit always put out a nice album. I love Crit albums. They good riding music, and it got that it got that vibe to it that make you just want to bounce. You don't really want to dance. You just want to bounce, and 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 I love how. He, he knows how to blend. He knows his own sound, and he gives himself what he needs. And it's very rare that you can find that in an artist. That's almost of a Kanye West, Kanye West type status. Mm, so what's your take on the song known as WAP with Cardi B, Meg Thee Stallion, and how I feel what they're doing was no different than what Lil' Kim, Foxy Brown was doing. And even further back when they were talking about throw that P on Luke records. Man, I Canelli was doing it. I, I'm so I, in all actuality, um, real. I, I'm I'm so I'm so disappointed with um with the the just just the the, the state of of hip hop right now. 
when it comes to the female artists because what was crazy was initially it was always a talk of how the men in rap was degrading the women and it's and now it's like they're actually living out what they said they didn't want to be called for a bag you know and i hate i hate the terminology and i'm literally using it in the sense that they're saying it's like as long as it's capital to, to be gained I'm willing to do anything, and I just can't rock with that. So, in having a daughter, and having daughters, you know, in this era, and you just think like, there's rhapsody may be the only thing they do have from a positive standpoint. I get it. I get it's a fad. I get it's gonna run the strip clubs. I get it's gonna run, you know, this young generation. But if you look around, it's all you're seeing right now is the culture is strongly followed by women who exploiting themselves over sex and um bodies and all vanity and so my take on the song really is is i ain't really feeling it to be honest right and but frank ski sure is because it samples there's some in this house and i didn't know that right. this was the same frank ski from frank ski and wanda from v103 down in atlanta because he was a baltimore club dj now baltimore club music very underrated, very distinct, and a little four-man group came from B-more. They were considered to be like Jodeci, but had their own unique sound, and I'm talking about Drew Hill. Drew Hill, man. I, man, Drew Hill has classic albums. I, it was one that I, I want to say, it may have been the first or the second one. Um, I, I used to love Drew, Drew Hill. They they had a they had soul. It was a that was a soul group. Drew Hill was a lot different. Even though one twelve and um you had uh Jagged Edge and um you had all the Backstreet um out Blackstreet out at that time. But Drew Hill came in with a different type of vibe. It was smooth. It was more uh it was riding music. It was calm. It was relaxed. But at the same time, they knew how to turn up. As, they knew how to turn up as well. Mm, your quick thoughts on when Justin Timberlake decided to break from NSYNC to put out Justified, because we know a good chunk of that album was produced by Neptunes and Timberland. And going back and hearing that album now, I felt like that was a straight Michael Jackson album that they just put on Justin. Hey, I, just just like um, just like when um, um, Bruno Mars just put out a, a nice, you know, a, a, that was Jimmy Jam all day. Um, I, I honestly feel like what they're doing is is they're trying to reinvent the wheel with, with guys who have some kind of traction to do some of it, and I think they're just willing to settle for um for good moments i'm I, I like timberlake i like the album i didn't think it was bad i honestly think that it's, it's actually giving the kids or the younger generation who doesn't know the history of the guy the likes of michael jackson's and your princes is giving them a touch into it so maybe once they sample the the, the timberlake and they're like, okay so now i can i can feed you michael jackson them because this is actually where it came from he, he does have a michael jackson sound even when they when when they tried to remix the song with him and mike i mean timberlake is a, he's a good singer he, he he's, he's great but i you know i can hear that i can hear that similarity just like you can right and another person who was a translator mary j blige if you think about it before her nobody on the female side was meshing hip-hop and r&b once again diddy decided to say let's take your anita baker style Genius. vocals put them over these hip-hop beats 
we got the marriage in the What's the 411 album, which had Grand Pooba from Brand Nubian on there, and the production, Brand Nubian production on there. And this guy was so underrated as a producer. I think that got over, he kind of got overshadowed because everybody knew him from the Fat Boys, Prince Marky D, and Corey Rooney. They did real love for Mary J. Top five album, and Mary J. Just think about what she's done to where she has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame to where she's still revered to this day. Uh, agreed. Um, legends, legends don't die. You know, legends don't die. We're, we're just, we're just, um, we, we have the, uh, the privilege to walk amongst them and still see them and possibly get new music, just kind of how we got from Nas, Living Legend. Yeah, and hey, I, MJB, Living Legend. Yeah, and I find it funny how, you know, a lot of the fashion when we were kids is considered retro now because my wife last year, she got me a cross colors hoodie. I was so hyped <laughs> when I got it. I was like, right. now I can finally rock something that I wanted to wear so bad as a kid. The next thing I want is that African American College Alliance sweatshirt that Martin and them will wear all the time. Yeah. And speaking of which, it's crazy to see how hip hop meshed with entertainment during that time because you had In Living Color, you had right. Martin hosting Def Comedy Jam, you had Arsenio right. having his late night show, and this was all at a time when hip hop was still considered dirty, not available for prime time. But these outlets said, we're going to showcase these artists in this art form and we're going to make it come to you, not the other way around. Right. And they did it in its purest form. And I think that's the reason why it lasted as long as it did. I don't, I don't think, um, I think people thought that hip hop would die. And I think in certain aspects of it, it just changed. It just changed trajectory. Um, I feel like, um, I feel like we're still, um, we still we we have a lifetime to have hip hop. I don't think it's going nowhere no time soon. And I and it's it's great for those people who ushered in that generation who saw fit for it to stay in its purest form. And that way they couldn't take our music and water it down and change it and make it just for the media. And that's what I like about it. It still has the rawness in it, and that's just love, man. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned earlier Ski Beats, and Ski Beats, he produced Uptown Saturday Night for a duo, Camp Low, Lucini. Camp Low. I mean, Lucini. Camp Low, underrated. Camp Low, that Lucini was one of my, it's one of my favorite joints. It's like when I, and if I'm putting together a playlist of some old school stuff or I'm trying to clean up the house, you know, those are the, those are my go-to songs, you know, from those guys. And it's, and it's weird that when they come on, it's like everybody know what it is, but at the same time, it gets, it gets overlooked for so long. Underrated producers who I felt don't get enough credit. Everybody who knows music knows who they are. But the mainstream people don't really know their impact. The Alchemist and another name I'm gonna Alchemist. throw at another name I'm gonna throw at you. I think this guy was overshadowed because Dre was so huge, but he had the same stylings, same production as Dre. You probably know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about DJ Quick. You already know Quick was Quick, and, and that's what I was thinking as well. A lot of times when that that's how it happens like you know any similarities and that's what happened now so when that's why i was saying uh kanye i feel like kanye west the game changed to me 
sonically right around the time when um, Watch the Throne came out. My In my dark, twisted fantasy album, uh, The Kid Cudi, uh, Man on the Moon, when Kanye started 808s in art, but when Kanye West went in his dark situation, it seemed like the whole game just got dark. You start being introduced to Travis Scott. Even Drake started to tone. Like, everybody started to go with this muffled sound. And so now it's like when you hear a producer, it's hard to even know who it is because of that same thing. Back then, if two producers kind of sound the same, sometimes they would get overshadowed based on whichever one had the best catalog of music, whoever did the best songs. And for, that was just dread at that time. So Quick would have been kind of in the rear, you know, in the rear, unless you honestly knew the impact that Quick put on the game. I love Quick. Quick is mm-hmm. one of those guys that's that's so overshadowed. Right, and Little John, everybody knows him as the producer, the face of Crump, but he was A&R at Social Death when he, they were putting out those Social Death-based all-star compilations, which I was mad that I lost my volume one cassette tape when I was moving out, lost all my cassettes. That was one of them. But Little John, I mean, uh. his impact is synonymous. I mean, Dave Chappelle, he can thank Dave Chappelle for making him known to mainstream folks. And then also, too, this okay. guy, I hate it. When he first came out, I thought he was a gimmick because of the auto-tune, but he showed with Matt Singer that, hey, I got vocals for real, and I'm talking about T-Pain. T-Pain. T-Pain, my dude. Uh, got crazy classes. Got hits for days. Um, another guy that, again, see, that was the t- – when he put a change to the game, you know, when he came out with the whole auto-tune thing initially, like you said, I didn't think it was going – Ride, um, the I'm in love with the stripper, but it, it held its own, and and T Pain did as well. T Pain is a uh, he's a great artist. I think um he's one of those guys who if uh he pushed harder, um or if if you know um I think he found his lane and he was he, his comfort zone was not what I wanted it to be only because I wanted to hear more of him, more of what he could do, maybe get behind an artist or something like that. But I do I do like the stamp that T Pain put on the game. Mm, and we cannot talk about hip hop without talking about a trio that had an album called Blunted by Reality. It was signed. They were signed to Rough House, but they later hit their mark with the score. And then the lady from this group, she was in Sister Act 2 at first, then the Fugees, and then we all know what came after that. Let's talk about the Fugees and then Lauryn Hill's impact on not only just rap, but R&B as well, because that album, Bar None, still can't be touched. Lauren Hill um, made a classic. Um, she said she's not even inspired to do music anymore. I wouldn't have that album like that. Me either. and I and I and I was about to say that that was that was the illmatic of R and B albums. Um, and from man, it it was that album was just it was crazy. It was like I was like, yo, wow, like really, like it it was so far ahead of its time. Like that album is still relevant now, and it's gonna be relevant ten years from now, twenty years from now, thirty years from now. Classic, classic album. Right, and a little bit of Fuji's connection with Beyonce. If it wasn't for Wyclef, we're not know Beyonce because it was Wyclef that hooked them up Destiny's with that No Child. No No remix that put Destiny's Child yep. on the map, and then that led Beyonce to her global icon status. Now we're going to end it Take on the, the top five MCs DOA. Give me your top five, five to one. 
Okay, starting with my top five. I, you know, I've been changing five for so long, man. Um, but I got to, I got to give it to this guy. The only reason why I'm making him five is because um, he's a part of a group, kind of, sorta. But um, lyrically wise, the, to me, one of the best to ever do it. Um, can't be touched. Um, I gotta go with um, Andre Three Thousand. Okay. My five, I am going to go with a guy who, straight out of Jersey, put it on for MCs out of Jersey, battle raps, crazy, witty with his flow. It's like that, the cut with K-Solo with samples cold getting done by Just Ice, one of my favorite records, Reggie Noble, Red Man coming in up the rear at five. Okay, okay. I, I I respect that. I respect that. Um at four, at four again I was I was kinda uh torn. Um one thing about my list you're gonna notice is it's gonna be weird. And I mean I know whatever feedback you get, they're gonna be like, Man, who is this guy you was talking to? And then include certain guys in this list. But my number four, I gotta give it to uh Mr. Brad Jordan, uh face mob, scarface coming out the south. All right, you got to represent the H-Town, the Diary, one of the top hip-hop albums you must listen before you leave. Number four for me is a guy straight out of New York associated with cold chilling, ain't no half-stepping. I get the job done, warm it up, the Lean On Me Rap Summary Remix, the B-I-G Day, Double D-Y-K, any bit that he came in for. I, 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 Kane is another, another good, great MC, um, that, that changed the game and, and it's weird. Cause so I'm going in, man, my three, and it's going to be right around that same era. The, the letter R, uh, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, Mr. Rakim. Mm, he's in my top 10. Didn't make the five. My, my third MC. Now I had a tough time with this one. This is a guy who we talked about earlier. He staked his own claim with Kareem Bix Bird and Dame Dash, formed their own label called Rockefeller, Reasonable Doubt. He got the baddest chick in the game wearing his chain. He got his hair going out saying that I'm free. I'm not going to be constrained by the society. What they have for me is Sean Corey Carter, a.k.a. Hove, a.k.a. Jigger, a.k.a. Jay-Z. And his birthday is three days before mine, coming in at number three. Okay, number three, and it's weird. It's weird because my number two, my I guess I, he said, uh, he said when I come back like Jordan wearing the four or five, but my number two, my number two as well. Um, it comes in at the same. I uh, I gotta get at the jigger. Jigger is my um, you know I always fluctuate my one and two, but um. Uh, um, Jay, with him, I feel like number two, Jay Z. All right, my number two is a guy that we lost back in 1997. He put it back on for New York at a time when the West Coast was dominant. It had that hard street feel for the dudes, but he knew how to appeal to the ladies thanks to Puff. And it's magic. I'm talking about Christopher Wallace, the notorious B.I.G. at two. B.I.G. My number one. My number one is uh, I would be remiss if I didn't 
I can't give enough credence to what this guy's done for the game. I, to me, I think he's a combination of what every MC ever wanted to be. He's humble with it. He's so low-key. He move how he want to move. He drop when he want to drop. And it's weird because he just dropped Friday. Mr. Nazir Olu Dura Jones. Nas, my number one MC. My number one is, this is going to be short and sweet. This man invented the term GOAT. James Ty Smith, LL Cool J, number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's cool, man. I, it's crazy because I think we only had what one, one same MC. Yeah, man. And but my but, but but my honorable mentions. This will be my 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 bench unit if we're going basketball terms. My honorable mentions. My my bench unit would be Jadakus. Three stacks. I Fabulous. Um, mm. I would go with mm, Scarface, and then to round Why out do? my my alternate bench unit, I'm gonna put Big Boy in there because people sleep on Big Boy. I, I, I think so, you know. But when you're around Andre, it's just kind of hard to, um, you know, it's crazy because it's one they they were just having this Snoop Dogg was just having this conversation about an MC that I know every a lot of people would put as maybe that number one. I don't. Um, but he had a song and he named his his top MCs and that's and I got to give his honorable mention Eminem. And Eminem actually said um he said I got a list. Here's the order of my list that it's in. It goes Reggie Jay-Z, Tupac, and Biggie, Andre from Outkast, Jada, Corrupt, Nas, and then me. And I was like, yo, the way he put that together and that list is all credible rappers. I think certain days, certain things change. If you're looking at longevity, if you're looking at consistency, if you're looking at impact, if you're looking at um, coast, um, who held their coast down, if you're looking at um, – Who's scared to get on the track with them? If you're looking at who's still talking about them when they ain't rapping, if you're looking at if they drop an album today, everybody we name has credence to be relevant in a top five. So I don't get disrespected to anyone who doesn't put certain people in the top five. I didn't name Biggie and Tupac for one because to me, Tupac was a revolutionary. He was bigger than rap to me. I feel like Biggie was on the brink of what he gave over to Jay-Z. And I think Jay-Z took it to a level that Big would have never took it to. Now, lyrical-wise, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a rapper overall, Jay took the game to a place, the first billionaire. Like, you got to give some kind of credibility to what they use their craft for to make. Right. Two more MCs, and I'm going to get y'all out of here. Man, we cannot forget these guys out of Staten Island, they made a claim in hip-hop that will never be touched. Nine MCs individually can spit. Together, they can spit. And they were able to negotiate solo deals with separate labels. We're talking about Wu-Tang, and then we're going to go down to New Orleans, talk about the youngest from the Hot Boys crew. This guy had been putting in work, and he surprised everybody by being the robot on the mass single. Lil Wayne. So let's talk about the Wu and Lil Wayne real quick before we go on. Weezy. Weezy F. I, I agree. And it's, and it's crazy because um, 
even when it, when you go back to the MCs and see the connection, how I remember on the purple tape, Nas had a standout verse uh, with Raekwon. Um, Ghostface always been one of my favorites. Method Man spit with the best, one of your favorites, Reggie Noble. So it's, it's so much connection with those guys. The Jizza, probably one of the best producers in the game. I mean, the RZA, probably one of the best producers in the game. Bum bum. And again, for all these guys that – for all these guys to have separate careers and be as relevant and for, for you to have a nine-man group and you can name all nine of them, that's saying something. ODB, now your son is living out your legacy with the rap crew that you came up with. It's like you can't put – yes, they, you have to. And then and then going <clears> – <throat> and then moving on over to um, – um, um, how they just revolutionized the game, Every, the whole Timberlands, the whole Staten Island connection, rounding up the whole New York aura. Yeah, man, woo, woo all day. Woo all day. You got to give them credibility. Mm, then talk about Lil Wayne. Weezy. Consistency. Weezy was the youngest in charge to have uh, a run as long as he had, still relevant, still changing the game. Um, Wayne is an artist. Wayne is a creator. Um, Wayne has uh, – Wayne probably has enough raps that you can play Lil Wayne music for an entire day. And and from the, the drought mixtapes, at one point in time, I thought Wayne was going to run out of words. He was dropping so much. And it was all fire. It wasn't like he was dropping BS. It was fire. I think I can again. I don't think people give Wayne enough credit for his run in the game. But I also think that depending on your age group will determine on what how far you move him up on your top MCs list. Because when you come through some of the greats and you try to hold that caliber up, Wayne does have um, Wayne does have some of the track record to do it. Um, and he has the catalog as well, so you kind of you gotta you can't count them out. Yep, P, Baby, and Slim, y'all three need to get together in the room. Give the people what they want. Yes. Give us a cash money and no limit tour, please. Take yes. all my yes. money. I will be front row center for a cash money no limit tour. Agree with my mask on. <laughs> yes, mask on. No mask off. Shouts to Future and man, Migos. You Migos setting the game on fire, man. Atlanta still repping, man. But before we close, talk about idolatry and give some shout-outs, bro. Okay, yeah, man. Uh, idolatry is um is new. It's my new podcast. It's featuring me and a good friend of mine, Mr. Donovan Barnes of Real Pro Photo. Uh, what we like to tap into is that third app. That's what I took the word idolatry, which comes from the Bible, because I honestly feel like in this day and time with um, the revolutionary iPhone and the Androids and um, social media. I think um, a lot of a lot of the culture is idolizing different gods as opposed to putting the man upstairs first. So what I tried to do, I looked at the, the name, uh, I looked at the word, and it always stood out to me. And I thought about it. And when I tell people, when I just spell it out, some people look at it and like how to pronounce it is I dollar and tree so the eye was the third eye that's the future that's what we looking into that's what you tap into when you you dealing with your love your intangibles the things you can't touch your love your caring 
your prosperity, your, your dreams, your future, all that's in your third eye. Of course, the dollar is always a representation of prosperity, and we live in a capitalistic society, whether we want to believe it or not. The dollar has become a necessity. We need it, and it's losing value. So the only way to increase it is to increase what's inside of you. And of course, what's inside of you is growth. That's what we led to the tree. When you look at the tree, as above as it is below, look at the bottom, the roots grow just like the branches do. When you have kids, they're, they're an extension of you. They're your limbs. They're your, they're your leaves. You judge the tree by the fruit. What I'm looking at right now, this podcast, what I'm looking at, um, your radio show, what I'm looking at with your YouTube, all of those are fruits. You're the tree. Your, your whole transition, what you've done for me, and, and just as a friend, as a as a advice giver, as you know, a classmate. That's all. The, that's all a part of the tree. The family tree is all connected. So, in order to in order for it to all make sense, you got to put it all together. So that's idolatry. The podcast, idolatry in real time. You can find us on YouTube, also on Anchor at idolatry in real time. And um, I just want to shout out. I want to shout out to you, man. Um, you brought me to Christ. You brought me. Um, you you the reason why I had the vision to even do this. And and it was weird because I was talking to another um uh, another uh friend, another mutual friend that we have, and I asked about you. And it was like he was like, Yeah, man, you gotta check him out because we was we had started doing the land ethics podcast. Shout out to Land Ethics, shout out to Big Homie Jeff, shout out to B Twin, shout out to Mr. Black Con J Tillery, the Puff Daddy of Con. And we was talking about you one day, and he was like, man, this guy is, this is the, you like, you are our miniature goat. And we looking for a goat like you, the one, man. You, you honestly, I knew, I, I knew that you was going to be what you was doing when I first met you. I recall being in sixth grade, and you told me you had your magazines organized by the year. And, you know, and I was like, yo, and, and just to know the trivia that you know, to know your history of music, you, you come off the top. It's like a freestyle. You come off the top with what's in your heart, man. And that's your third eye. And what's so crazy is when you can see it with your mind, do it with your hands, and watch it with your eyes. That's the that's the fullest circle of manifestation. You manifesting the gift that's gonna stand the test of time. I appreciate you. I thank you for having me on the podcast, man. It's it's definitely my honor. It's my honor. I definitely appreciate that, man. The pleasure is all mine, man. I'm humbled by everything that you said, man. I just looked at it as you know where we come from. It's not a lot to do, and I just try to do what I can to try to make a positive impact back home, even though. I'm here in New Mexico. I still represent Gaston, Garrisburg, Jackson, Weldon, Halifax, Scotlandette, Lilton, Warren County, Nash County, Edgecombe, Pitt, 252-919-910-336-828. Everywhere I go, man, the whole state, man. So it's just an honor, man. Shout out. To call you friend, man. Everybody that's back home been supporting me since the Time Machine days. And I'm just very thankful and appreciative of it. And that third eye on your shirt, it makes me want to spit this verse before we go. Illuminati want my mind, soul, and my body. Secret society, trying to keep that on me. Rest in peace, prodigy. And ladies and gentlemen, you can find this episode along with past content on Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Apple, and the list goes on and on. Just search beyond the album cover and the video portion will be available on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash J. A5. Ladies and gentlemen, chopping it up, or should I say, cutting up because it's profession with my man JD. 
the barber. If you're having a Ronald Valley, go to Supercuts. Tell him I sent you. He'll hook you up right. You won't be looking like Bibby from Atlanta. If you know Paperboy, the episode in Atlanta, you know what I'm talking about. JD, thank you very much for the episode. Right, thank you. Thank you, Jay Mace, man. I appreciate you, man. Until we meet again, man, stay blessed. Already. You already